And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 259 of This Old Marketing, recorded Thursday, February 18th, 2021. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who's definitely not landing on Mars later today, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Hi. Were you, were you invited? <laughs> were you invited to go to Mars? <laughs> no, no. Usually you ask me a question. Like, you just, you just ended it. You just say, yeah. And you didn't. So I, I didn't know how to take it. I didn't know if I, if you wanted commentary on NASA landing this thing on Mars or it's the coolest thing oh ever. Oh my Come god! It's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It, nobody's nobody's taking this like it's such like. Oh, and by the way, we're uh, yeah, we're landing a spaceship on uh, the planet of Mars tomorrow. Do you remember yeah, in the movie deal. Martian where you know they go through all that trouble? They go have to save Matt Damon, and then at the end the entire world is watching the next liftoff. Like, everybody is interested in NASA's right. next thing. That's right. But we don't... That's not true anymore. Like No. Literally last night on the news here in L.A., it was, you know... And by the way, you know, for all of you in Texas right now or in the, somewhere in the Midwest where if you're dealing with power and water and all that stuff, you know absolutely my heart goes out to you it's it's just a bummer um i can go being from texas i can go off on a rant about that and i will not um but yeah it's 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 a real bummer right now but so the news was that and you know and then the rest of washington and politics and blah 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 and it got to the weather and it was like oh yeah the the weather's going to be real nice here. Oh, and by the way, NASA's going to be landing a you know a, a lander tomorrow morning oh, or geez. tomorrow afternoon. You know, and Mars. It's like really, it's like filler. Yeah, the, it's not filler content. It's way more important than that. It should have been leading, maybe the second story. It's tell, tell you what's going me. on in Texas. Really important power grids yeah. totally failing us. We need help there, and then go on to NASA. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. You know, it's so strange, it's, though. Just, I mean, I feel horrible. I've got, you and I have so many friends in that area that are really struggling right now. Oh, our God. Hearts I've got go high school out. friends and college oh, friends my and gosh. family. And, I mean, our hearts yeah. go out to them. They would never expect to to, for, to have that happen. But, well, well no, all, all I'm that, saying is, yeah. is that, yeah, I, this is 25 years ago. I mean, when I got started into my first investment club, we actually talked about the idea of the power grids in the United States being woefully inadequate. And we were talking about the different services companies that would be good investments because over the next 20 years, major billions and billions were going to go into this thing. Well, some have, but for the most part, most of our power grids around the United States have been neglected. And here's where we are. Yes. Here's yes. where we are. And it's horrible. Yes. So every yeah, every I mean, here we are. Two two Americans whole co complaining. Right, you know, get off my lawn. Yeah. But still, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's terrible. Fix it. Yeah. Well, you know. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, there's lots of lots of you know lots of blame to go around here. But it is. Let's just put it this way: it's not because of windmills and solar energy that Texas is having this issue right now. It is. It is definitely not that. Um, you know, we can have a debate about deregulation and Texas being on its own grid and being separate from the rest of the United States and all that. But yeah, it's yeah. Do you, anyway, do you know I that I, I will get off on? No, it no. Again. I mean, here's here's a here's a little side topic about Texas. You know, Texas actually their constitution and our constitution allows for Texas to split up into five additional. Like, wait, maybe it's five total states. Is it five total states or five additional states? Texas can do that. Texas is the only one. Texas can pull. Can Texas has the constitutional right to pull away, to become to to return to becoming its own nation again. It, it, yeah. Is there a timetable for that? I, look, that, I, grew up, you, I grew up. I mean, you know, no, you were born I grew in Texas. Up in, look, growing up in Texas, you know, let's put it this way: your Texas history class in elementary school was as important as U.S. history. And maybe even more so, right? There was, there were, you know, there were courses you took in 
fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade that were Texas history. And so I learned all that. I learned all Now, looking that. back, was it correct? Was it well, slanted th- a little bit? It's three. Well, it, yeah, you think I <laughs> um, You know, I mean, you know, you, 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 get, a, you get a bit of a, a, of a, you know, well, let's, let's put it this way. Texas history books are a little bit like, a, you know, they're, they're a little bit like a Steven Spielberg movie. Let's put it that way. You know, that people are painted in, in, in different light. Let's, oh, let's that's fair let's enough. You probably want to stop yeah. talking about this now. So yeah. let's it's, just it's, move yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. my, my Texas friends, some of them will be yelling at me, I'm sure. Well, what's in, well <laughs> be, beyond what's happening with the weather patterns in NASA, we've had yeah. a, it's funny how these news weeks go. Like this week, all it kinds really of crazy is. news. Oh my God, it's 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 unbelievable. I mean, so we're 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 you know jumping right into it. We're covering breaking news. Literally broke yesterday afternoon, um, and there are many many um, mean, uh, mainstream media uh, outlets covering this. For the obvious reason, we are going to cover, um, we're going to link to the Sydney Morning Herald, which is the uh, morning newspaper in Sydney, Australia. And the headline here, which unfortunately, well, I'll tell you that in a minute. The the headline here is a real shock. Media companies slam Facebook's Australian news restrictions. Basically, Facebook made a stunning move, the article opens up by saying, to ban publishers and users in Australia from sharing or viewing any news articles on its platform in response to the Morrison government's proposed media bargaining laws. Uh, The article goes on to say the bargaining code, the law, uh, will require social media companies to pay media outlets for using their content. The bill is expected to pass the Senate and become law as early as next week. That would be like this coming week. Uh, In a blog post on Thursday, Facebook said that it had carried out Uh, carried through on the threat it made in September after being unable to find a solution in discussions with the Australian government. Content on Facebook pages from news websites such as the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, uh, News Corp newspapers such as The Australian, The Herald Sun, and all ABC content were made unavailable to users from early Thursday. That's early uh, yesterday, which would have been late our time uh, yesterday. So we just had people emailing us left and right on this. and I can confirm that it's not we're not just news here. This is all forms of content. Our friend uh, Mike Stelzner from Social Media Examiner sent me a screenshot earlier this morning of what their page looks like in Australia, which is nothing. There's nothing there. They've basically removed all content from Social Media Examiner's Facebook page. Um, and uh, that's what you see is a blank page if you're in Australia and go there. I would guess, although I have not received confirmation on this, that the same is true for Content Marketing Institute and a number of other marketing, quote unquote, publications. So it's not just news sites. And so well, anyway, and, and our friend, I, have a, and our friend, I have a big take on this. What, yeah, no, no, what, our what friend, your, uh, as well think? as that, our friend Michelle Peterson-Clark Sent us yes, all kinds of you know vaccine information from particular state offices, news outlets can't get out. It's just you know, it's crazy. The whole thing's yeah. crazy. And yeah, it's it's not just news sites. It's nonprofits. It's it's uh, some government sites. Um, yeah, it's a whole it's a whole. So mess. I was trying to think about this. I definitely want to hear your take. I know you have one and have many. <laughs> I do. So uh, first thing that came to my head was uh, bold move, Cotton. Uh, is what I wanted to say <laughs> right. from Facebook. Well, see if it works out for Yeah, them. see how that, you know, the kind of interesting take there, Cotton. Um, yeah. But here's he, here's my historical side coming out. It, you know what this reminds me of, Robert? It reminds me of when Hitler invaded Poland. And I'm gonna okay. Ta- <laughs> wow. I'm going to tell you yeah, why. Wait, wait. I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. Hitler, Hitler w- wanted to see how, how people react and how far he could get and what would happen. This is in 1939. So he invades Poland just to see what's going to happen. Now, I'm not saying that Facebook is Hitler. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is... By the way, God, Godwin's Law in perfect form here. You know Godwin's Law? <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that they... Yeah. This, this, in my opinion, this is not, you know, don't yeah. take it for, for word, but in my opinion, this was in the works for a long time by Facebook. 
Oh, of course it was. Of Very long was. time, way before it was even talked about in September. Facebook knew this was coming, and they were trying to pick an area to test out and how far they could go and what they could get from a bargaining negotiating standpoint that they're going to say, okay, we have the opportunity now. The government in Australia is going to pull this, you know, pull in quotes. So what are we going to do? And then they immediately, they didn't have to do this yet, obviously. It's not even a law yet. Like, oh, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to pull everything. And now, now you're seeing everyone panic, which is what Facebook wants. So now you have some in the government, and we're seeing all the tweets and whatever that, that are saying, this is terrible. Facebook is evil. They shouldn't have done this. And then <laughs> right? you've, got other, you've got other people that saying, look, I want my content out there. What do I need to do, Facebook, so you let my content go? It's really important. So Facebook is really, right. you know, you see how important we've we've made Facebook in this yes. process. Which is that's the scary thing here, right? Is 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 really how uh, yeah. how we've created Facebook in the same manner by the way that we have created Google and we've created all these you know media sites based on our own content for how many years has it been? Um and I, I would imagine, I mean, you, you tell me what you think, but I would imagine in the next two to four weeks, there'll be some kind of an agreement struck. Facebook oh, will probably come out on top of course. with this whole thing. So this is just a... T- the, the Facebook folks have to be loving this. Have to be loving yes. this. Well, I don't know that they're loving it. They... they you know, here's... A, I think this is a failure on both sides, right? So, you know, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think Facebook has been playing. You know, you don't just shut off surgically everything they in Australia without. They had the list without, already without, to go. You know, yeah, they had an F. They well, it's a you know, I think they've there's a category. I'm sure, um, you know, in, in their database and then the way that they would do this that would basically shut it off. Um, and so they hit the category, which is why you're seeing sort of a, 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 a wide area of destruction here in terms of, you know, like social media examiner and other, you know, like the government sites and stuff like that, which, you know, there's probably some categorization that they just surgically took out, which, you know, I mean, so it hits more than just new yeah, sites. Yeah, well, and that's they turned the it to here. 11. Right. Exactly. <laughs> he said, let's yes. really piss they everybody off. They definitely <laughs> nuked it. They definitely nuked yeah. it. And so the first thing we have to realize is that this isn't about the news, right? This isn't about, this isn't about whether it's Rupert Murdoch or the local Gazette or the local whatever. This is about publishers. And we'll cover another story here in a bit about that. But this is basically all people, all companies that publish news or publish content that resembles the news. And that is, that's an interesting thing. Now, the real issue here is, of course, money, right? And, and you know, to your point, of course, they knew this was going to happen. And of course, they were ready to pull the trigger on this if as a as a negotiation tactic, um, to say, basically, this is what we want to do. But let's be clear, Facebook has been toying like a little cat with media companies for the last year. How many times have we talked about this on this show about, are they going to get paid? Or are they not going to get paid? Or should they get paid? Or are they not going to get paid? How are they going to get paid? You know, and no matter what side of the sort of world you come down on there, both sides have a point. Both sides have an absolute valid point to say, Hey, listen, we send you traffic. You should be able to monetize that. The media company saying, hey, listen, you're pulling and scraping content enough to put contextual ads around that. We deserve a piece of that. Both sides have a absolutely they, they've got a valid point. valid point mm-hmm. for that. And but Facebook doesn't want to negotiate with Rupert Murdoch and the local Gazette and the local newspaper like, Y like and the Google local newspaper did, Z. Like, like Google like just, Google did, just right? did, and Google. they did the deal with, with Rupert and News Corp. Yeah. Exactly. And so they don't want to do all those individual deals because, A, that's hard, and B, it's not as effective as having sort of one area, one price. For example, they just made a deal in France, right? Same thing, right? They made a, they made a sort of global deal in France to, 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 to make this happen there. 
Same thing's going to happen here. They just want it on their terms. They want, they're, they're fine to pay. They just want to pay on their terms. And that's where it's a failure on both sides because either the Australian government just didn't understand that or that it wasn't communicated well or they just failed to get to the negotiation point and are stubborn in their ways. And, you know, so there will be an agreement. There are, I'm sure there are many, many stern notes being floated around right now and lots of, you know, hyperbole being thrown about and it'll, it'll, it'll come to an agreement. Well, I, I am not one for breaking up any companies. I've always been fearful of antitrust guidelines in the United States specifically, but around the world. I've never liked it, but Facebook is almost a trillion dollar market cap company. One that's with the T trillion. They could eat up all these media companies and still have more room for dessert. Right. Um, it's a problem. I think it's a problem when you look at the Fang stocks, when you look at Facebook and Netflix and Apple and Amazon and how big they're getting and how they really are now controlling communication. Now, I'm not saying we didn't let them have it because in a lot of cases we did, especially with the social media sites. But this is going to come down to something much, much bigger. So we are, we are in inning one, out one, inning one of this happening. Well, and this is going to get very, very testy all yeah. around the world. And here's the thing. I, I, I commented on a social media post uh, yesterday with this. One of the things that we've been talking about on this show is the uh, is Facebook and how they need you know how they're a media company and do they have responsibility for what appears on their platform, right? So they've played that hand now. In other words, any protestation from Facebook that says, oh, we can't, we can't do that. We, we don't have the ability to, to just surgically go in and take out a whole class of content or check it for facts or make sure that it's not, you know, promoting terrorism or, you know, or, you know, all these, you know, weird conspiracy theories and all that sort of thing. No, no, no. You, you, you played it. You, you know, you, it's not, you know, you can't. You, you, you had the resources to be able to do this. You got the resources to be able to do the other. And so we, you know, you get to, you get to fool me once you don't get to fool me twice. So any sort of talk about regulation that starts with, Hey, you need to be responsible in the same way that other media companies are responsible for what appears on their platform. And again, we can have that debate, right? We can have that debate of whether they're a platform or a media company. I happen to believe they're the latter. They're media and company. They, there's, yeah. There should be some. There should be some responsibility there. Um, and, but what you can't argue is that they don't have the capability to do it because they just showed yeah. that they did. Well, you you've been fighting for this. You've been talking about this for a long time about how all the restrictions on traditional media companies that that Facebook is not beholden to. And I think, in, and we're going to talk more about this in this episode, a lot of it. But the fact is, is that we have to define who a media company actually is. And in, in all actuality, it's pretty much everybody. It's pretty yeah, much right, everybody. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the that's issue. Right. That's the weird thing, right, about what happened with Facebook in Australia. Because you can make, you could say they went too far and started to cut, cut companies out of this that aren't media companies. You could say they didn't go far enough. Yeah. Because literally everyone that's creating content and monetizing that content in some way, which, by the way, is every non-media company as well creating content, is also a media company. Sure. So, Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that they, 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 there was one headline I read this morning that said basically, you know, all the news is gone, but all the aliens are still there, right? You know, you know it's like, you know, all the, all the crazy crap is still there on Facebook for the Australians. It's just, you know good journalism and news is gone. So yeah, well, that's like, yeah, know, that, then there's, yeah. There, they were all, a lot of people that I know that you know were commenting on how, well, now fake news is really going to rule the roost, if you will. Yeah. Because yeah. there's it's, nothing uh, else, there's nothing else to say it's not true. Yeah, well, they, you know, theoretically, they got, theoretically, I, you know, I don't know how this, this works per se, but, but, you know, and I'm not there to test any of this, but, Theoretically, they got rid of a lot of the bad stuff too, right? By getting rid of the 
by getting rid of all this class, this this huge class of content. You kind of um, leave the loudest of, individuals, right? Is sort of yeah, you yeah, sort of what you do. You know, you yeah, you you, you lose a lot of the, the 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 sort of weird conspiracy stuff too. So, uh, you know, it's a it, it it will get solved. It will get solved. And the, the the annoying part, I think, for me anyway, is that it. And maybe this is what Facebook is really after in testing this market is this takes the conversation away from regulation on what they should be doing from a uh, fake news, from a responsibility standpoint, and puts the conversation squarely on copyright and monetization of content. And so the longer that Facebook can push out that conversation on responsibility, they're they're happy campers, right? They're just like, yeah, I think this you've is, hit the, this is I think you've hit the nail yeah. on the head. I mean, I think yeah. that you're this is a very strategic move and we're looking at it on the surface and we've got to go a little bit deeper. That oh, th- God, this, yes. is, this is th- Facebook is looking ten years Facebook is playing chess. Yeah, here. they're they're yeah, they're is, taking the long is, view. They're looking ten years absolutely. from now and everyone's in the moment. Oh my god, what are we gonna do? And Facebook is like, Okay, well, this is this is check the box here. We've got, you know, five years to go here. And, this is an experiment. Yeah. This is them literally in little white lab coats running around seeing what the rats will do. <laughs> you know, quite you know, let's turn off Australia. You know, this is Lex Luthor time. The, you know what I'm talking about? Like this is it like is, you know it is, but I think uh, I think what we have to remember too is that if Facebook lost all of Australia, it wouldn't make a difference. No, that's my point. That's exactly my point. It's like it wouldn't even is, put a dent in their earnings. Right. That's right. Oh, jeez. Okay. This episode of This Old Marketing is sponsored by Accessibility. If we were to ask you, what percentage of websites are accessible, meaning fully usable for people with disabilities, what would your answer be? If your answer would be 3% or more, then you'd be wrong. Even though web accessibility is required by law under the Americans with Disabilities Act, and even though it makes very little business sense to exclude one in four adult Americans from accessing your website, Yes, according to the CDC, more than 60 million Americans live with some form of disability. And even though it is the right thing to do, 98% of SMB web pages fail to provide full accessibility. People with disabilities should get the same access to the internet as the rest of us. And we're pretty sure no one can argue with that. Accessibility, the company that conducted the research we just mentioned, offers an automated AI-based accessibility solution and ongoing monitoring for websites of all sizes. Hands-free, affordable, and everlasting, ensuring your website is always accessible for people with disabilities and protecting you from legal action. Go to accessibility.com or run an accessibility test on your website at ace.accessibility.com. Moving, hey, quickly, there is a uh, uh, something that's related um, to this social media thing. Before we get onto the one that's really related, um, it was kind of a struggle to figure out where to put this news story, but uh, this is a story that comes to us courtesy of TechCrunch, um, and YouTube uh, is expanding their original content programming. They're expanding their shorts, as they call it, to the U.S., adding 4K and offline DVR to YouTube TV, launching in-video shopping and more. So a whole new product roadmap just got launched for YouTube Premium. Um, and the article from TechCrunch that we'll link to in the show notes opens up by saying YouTube has a host of big product updates coming this year, and it just detailed a lot of them in a blog post from Chief Product Officer Neil Mohan. Google's streaming video site plans to expand its TikTok-esque shorts mobile video creation and consumption tool to the U.S. It's currently in beta in India. Uh, make a YouTube TV more full-featured in-home cable alternative. Add customization and control options for YouTube kids. Uh, and a lot more. The whole product list is basically YouTube's coming on strong here to challenge some of the the new streaming um, services. What did you What did you make of this? Uh, half of it I think is good, and half of it I think is silly. And the half of it I think is good is YouTube is focusing more on content creators, individual content creators specifically. They're putting in more things like their um, you know applause tipping feature to to help 
pay, you know, generate more revenue for creators. I like all that. I like the in integration of shopping. I think that is a no brainer. What I don't like, Robert, is I think people expect YouTube. I think YouTube's hole that they've filled really, really well is in longer form video. I know when you say longer form video, it's hard to believe that, but most of the video on YouTube is longer form. And so let's say longer form is three minutes or more. It's hard to say. Three yeah. minutes long. Anno- annoyingly, yeah, so. annoyingly, annoyingly so. Annoyingly so. YouTube. Where you watch a video, you're looking at a how-to video, and it's seven minutes of them going, here's what we're going to learn today. By the way, did I tell you what we're going to learn yeah, today? And what we're going to learn today in five bullet points is this. The five bullet points of what we're going to learn today for literally five minutes, well, just so you can get bit. to a 15. It's a li- no, I mean, it's not. If you that's not over the top. At, that's not over the top. Not, you can right. skip that, like seven minutes into a video and, and get but the value But that stuff of does exist, do. yes. But if you look at the core creators like your PewDiePies, like your Mr. Beast, like your Matt Pats of the world, their sweet spot is... I, unlike you, I am not a PewDiePie That's or fine. Matt that's Pat, okay. Sort of. I've, <laughs> I've studied these people. They're they're in the new book, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, your, your yeah. sweet spot is around the 12-minute mark. That's right. So if that's your sweet spot, this isn't. these are not short-form videos. The point is, I think YouTube can should hammer home on their sweet spot as being that longer form video and not compete with the TikToks of the world, not compete oh, with agreed. Snap of the world. Agreed. What I yeah. think they agreed. should do, which they're not going to do, but what they should do is buy Snap. If they, they should buy Snap, Google has plenty of money for this, buy Snap now and have Snap be that shorts place, which we yeah. I don't know if we covered it last week, but but Snap just launched their own original shorts. They've got Ryan Reynolds doing one. Um, it's becoming a big deal. So I don't the the concern I have, Robert. I want you to get your take on this. Is YouTube's trying to do too many things at one time? I think. Yeah, I think I think basically you're looking at you know. I mean, this is a this is a press release, right? I mean, so let's be clear about that. Yeah, who this knows? is YouTube yeah. coming out and saying. Here's all the cool, exciting things we plan to do, right? You know, who who knows how many of them will actually come to fruition and, you know, will stick. Um, but I'm I'm in full agreement that you know they they should lean into themselves as a uh, streaming competitor, you know, a, a competitor to Prime and to you know Twitch, to, in, in, Twitch, and, and in some ways Netflix, and in some ways. Um, you know, the other paid services um, by adding more, you know, the, the one thing that they haven't added that everybody has been sort of, you know, razzing them about is their original programming slate has just been, you know, silly, right? I mean, where, you know, where you have companies like Amazon and Netflix uh, and, you know, HBO and, and really putting real money into original content, Google has arguably put a lot of real money into really bad content, right? And, and you know, and 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 not terribly well received series, and you know, nothing terribly well, sexy. Well, so. YouTube TV is really next gen cable. It's streaming cable, is what it is. Yeah. Because they, you're right, they don't have a lot of original stuff. But what they have is they're like, okay, let's let's just re- you cut the cord and then go with YouTube TV over, let's say Hulu. Right. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's that's the original Netflix model, right? Where it's the licensing model for the most part. And so, you know, they're they're becoming a cable head end. You know what I mean? They're becoming a competitor to Comcast sure. in that sure. case. Um, and so there it's it, you know, that that model, it might work for, you know, it might it might be a fine business for them to be in, right? To go compete against, you know, the basically get your unbundling and instead of paying Comcast or uh, Spectrum or, you know, whoever you're you're basically, uh, you know, you're, you're paying Google. So it, it, that might be a fine business model. But to me, I think it's the content that, you know, as, we, as we've talked about and we'll talk about here in a minute, where that's yeah, where the real margin is. It's where the real, it's where the real future is. Yeah, I look at the press. It's just they're trying to do a lot. They're trying to yeah, do a lot. True. And I, I'm okay with a lot of it. But the thing, I, I just don't see... YouTube competing on a scale that's going to make sense with with TikTok and Snap right now. I just don't see it. So why? You already have something really successful. Focus on the benefits, the features and benefits that have made it successful. Focus on that longer form video and then the short shorts or something else, I think. But what do I know? Yeah. 
What do I yeah. know? I just study this for a living. That's right. That's right. We're just a couple of chuckleheads. <laughs> <laughs> you know, bitching about the news. Get off my lawn. Get off YouTube. my yard. Yeah, you <laughs> Bold move, cotton. All right, what do we got? <laughs> All right, moving on to our next story here. Does content equal a media company? This one from a really good newsletter um, that I have subscribed to and that you subscribe to called A Media Operator, um, which you can get at amediaoperator.com. And the article that was sent out um, was, Does Content Equal Media Company? Uh, and the article opens up by saying it has become common to assign the label of media company to any company that creates content. This argument has popped up again in the past few weeks with the news that Andreessen Horowitz, uh, a VC firm that is often referred to as 16Z, would be creating a lot more content. In a blog post, Margaret Wenmachers, an operating partner at Andreessen Horowitz, wrote, so we're doing just that. We're building a new and separate media property about the future that makes sense of technology innovation and where things are going. And now we're expanding to open up our platform to do this on a much bigger scale. We want to be the go-to place for understanding, building the future for anyone who is building, making, or curious about technology. We covered that story, of course, here on the podcast a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Andreessen Horowitz. Um, the article continues by saying, as you can imagine... Some in the media were incredibly uncomfortable with this. In their minds, this was 16Z bypassing the gatekeepers of the press and going direct to consumers. I certainly understand, says the article, why people feel this way, but also find the argument to be underwhelming and also a little disappointing. But it helps to understand where it's coming from and then to understand why this reaction is happening. And he goes on, or the article goes on, I should say, to uh, to quote Content Marketing Institute about content marketing and how that's a thing out there that company product companies are becoming media companies or considered media companies and uh, goes on to then basically uh, explain the argument but um, ends up by saying none of concluding none of that matters though if we're going to do the work and go deeper to our audiences they will still show up and read the original reporting there may be attempts at disintermediating the press but I'm honestly not worried. The job just changes. We'll adapt. What say you, Mr. Polizzi? Well, every <laughs> there's so many places. Well, so many places to go here. Um, you and you and I have talked about this a million times. We talked about it in Killing Marketing. We continue to blog about it and tweet about it. I believe that everyone that creates content and monetizes that content in some way is a media company. It doesn't have to monetize it through traditional media monetization strategies like paid subscription or advertising. You can monetize that through selling products or services or whatever. We've talked about in Killing Marketing. I talk about in the new book, Content Inc., same thing. So the fact that there are media companies out there that still believe they're the gatekeepers to you know, making kings or to uh, to getting the latest news out that it, that's their purview is so 1990, it kills me. Uh, I mean, you and I have talked about this a couple of times. The first time I taught, I was on a panel at South by Southwest. I think this was in 07, 08. So 07 or 08. I'm on a panel. I'm, I've got my content marketing hat on. And I was, there was a, there was another panelist, a, one of the lead journalists at TechCrunch on with me that actually called me the antichrist. <laughs> because I said that anyone could be a media company. Now, there are different missions. The press has a different mission. Journal the traditional journalistic entities have different missions than let's say Aero Electronics does or Red Bull Media House does. But at this that they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to build an audience and they're trying to monetize that audience in some way. They have different editorial and content missions, but they do that in similar fashion. So I just laugh every time when the media, quote unquote, thinks that, oh, my God, a company can't do this or this is wrong in some way. And we're in 2021 now. <laughs> We've been doing this. This whole content marketing thing has been around for a couple hundred years now. And I, I don't see why we're still having this discussion. But, you know, we are. I, I what's your take. I think, well, you know, you're, you're, I agree with you 100% on the fact that you're the Antichrist. So let's just clear that yes, up. Yes, right many away. people um, do. That's right. It's going to be the title um, of this show. 
Joe is the Antichrist. Right. Listen on. That's <laughs> right. More. That's right. You know, W seven seven hell. Um, so, uh, you know, but here's what I, I when I read this article, it, it seems to me that and and by the way, the 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 guy behind this, Jacob Donnelly. Um, he works at Morning Brew, and this is his, I guess, side hustle is, is the way to put yes, this? Yes, but or? you can't say yeah. st- side hustle, side okay. project. All right. Side because project. Because I have right. hustle. I, I don't like that word. Okay. I have a, okay, I have a fine, thing with fine, it. Fine, fine, fine. Only Gary V can use hustle. Fine, fine. I, 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 I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> um, Go ahead. So anyway, he, I, what I think, he's saying um is it is an acknowledgement that there is new competition and what he's saying at the end this is at least my interpretation of this is that none of it matters if we do the work in other words if we do the work and are competitive there's new competition coming from the andreessen horowitzes or the pub product companies or you know brands that are not traditionally quote-unquote media companies and that's fine as long as we continue to illuminate the truth, stick to our mission, go deeper for our audiences and still show up. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's what he's really saying here. I, it, it strikes me now, whether there's an entitlement associated with that, I don't know. Um, but I, it sounds to me like in this article, he's, he's, he's basically saying, don't get to work, you know, to other media reporters, editors, you know, sort of classic press. Don't get too worked Stop up. Stop worrying. This. No, no, no. Yeah. I agree. I, I think, I mean, yeah. I love the article. I'm actually on board with the whole thing. Don't worry. Yeah. Follow your mission and you'll be fine. Actually, it's easier today than it was 10 years ago for the press to just do its thing because most times they're not being monetized through advertisers, advertising. Correct. So they well, don't have to worry about, yeah. oh my God, we're going to make one of our advertisers upset. Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Just go report on your mission. That see, and here's a, this is the, the, there's the, there's the light side and the dark side, right? Which is going back to your panel discussion that you had, where you got called the Antichrist. There is the classic media, and this and, and by the way, this is related to our Facebook conversation as well. Which is, if we look at it through the lens of classic journalism and media, they would say. You know, they would say they're living up to standards of reporting, standards of journalism. You know, some might call those handcuffs, right? There or limitations. In other words, there's a standard that they're held to as a media operator, as a reporter, as a newspaper that brands and product companies aren't currently held to. And so a complaint and maybe a valid complaint would be, hey, when product X, Y, or Z comes out and says, I want to talk about this issue, they're not held to the same journalistic standards and the public doesn't understand the difference. And that's an interesting challenge in today's more democratized view. And what we have to, as, as you know, we've talked about this many times. I, I ranted about this when the new Edelman uh, trust barometer came mm-hmm. out, right? Yeah. Where... You know, when we look at public trust right now, business is considered the only trusted institution above government, above mainstream media and above NGOs. So it's it's an opportunity for business to do this and have the trust of the public. But that trust is easily broken. And that's the dark side of this is, is if we don't hold ourselves accountable as businesses, as product businesses accountable to the same or even higher honestly, standards of providing inspiration, entertainment, news, education, then, then it all doesn't work. It doesn't work for anybody, right? We can ruin the whole party um, by, by, by doing that. And I think that's an interesting conversation to have because that gets us to the conversation of, well, is it, do, does Facebook owe the public a responsibility of being responsible for its content on its platform the people or 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 do the people publishing the content on facebook have a responsibility to the greater good uh of getting you know of, of a standard of 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 truth and and factualness and you know all of that and it's it's an it's a really interesting conversation to have it's just the whole thing 
every time I read an article like this or every time I see the Facebook event, we are seeing right now in front of us a gold rush moment for audience building. Because I mean, just look at what look at what's happening to some of these organizations on Facebook that don't have a direct line of communication with their customers. They've been using somebody else's platform for that, Facebook's. I mean, can you imagine if that's what you did and you had your 100,000 subscribers on Facebook and then all of a sudden you don't have that? Well, here we go. This is just the start. It's it's happening all over the place. It's happening on multiple platforms in, in countries all over the world. And we should be preparing for this right now. And that's why if you're not giving triple attention to audience building, you've, you're behind the eight ball. Yeah, I agree. I agree 110,000% with you, my antichrist. This is, yeah, you've never really agreed with me 10,000%. Yeah. And I have been called an antichrist more than once. Well, I so, got, yeah. hey, you know what? I'm really super proud. A friend of mine just put me on the cover of his new book. Who was that? I don't know. I don't know who that was. But I said it was the number one business model of the coming decade. The number one digital business model for the next decade. That was a great great quote, by the way. I I was quite flattered that you put me on the cover of your book. It's hard for me to write a book without putting your name on the cover somewhere. Because, (laughs) frankly... or stealing, you know, long passages from my previous books. It, well, that's 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 why I did it because half the book I just siphoned off from your other works. But instead of I giving see. you credit for it, I just feel like yeah. if I put your name on the cover, you're just like, that's fine. At least you put my name on the cover, right? That's true. That is you, true. It doesn't take that much is, to buy you. It's it's it does it's a, not take. It's much a little to bit of promotion. No, I am. Yeah. It's a little bit of Robert Rose promotion or a bottle of, of good tequila. That is correct. I am easily I, I am easily had. I, I, am, I am I am a cheap date. There is no doubt. No, you are not a cheap date because you are. You, okay, everyone needs to know this. When you go to a Mexican restaurant or you're going somewhere where you're going <laughs> oh, to no. drink, they hand yeah. you the regular drink menu, and you look at yeah. it, and then you're you're like, "Excuse me, this is fine." But where's the real drink menu that have <laughs> like the $50, $60 a drink drinks? Yeah. That's what you want to see. It is true. I, there, there, are, there, are, there, are, there are things in life that I will pay really good money for. <laughs> and good liquor is one of them, right? Whether it's good wine or good tequila, good food is another one as well. I, I'm very happy to pay really good money for those. No, sometimes it doesn't even take words because you, you get the menu, the, the, uh, the wait staff <laughs> will come over to you, look at you, and then you'll just give them the look and you'll, you'll have the menu in your hands and you'll give them the look. And then is this, there's something said, but yeah. not said. And then they leave and they come back with a different menu for just the Robert. And, yeah. <laughs> it just, well, and then that's the yeah. real, and that's the ones that you're waiting for. I've, is, I've seen it happen, true. folks. It's amazing. <laughs> It's, it is it is true. It is true. All right, let's move on to our last story here that we're going to cover, okay. um, which is an interesting one, and I know very close to your heart because uh, you've been doing a ton of work for the book uh, on this particular topic, um, and it's about the passion economy, and I'm kind of loving that term. Um, Lee Jin launches Atelier, I'm guessing is the pronunciation of that. Uh, Atelier Ventures, her debut fund to invest in the passion economy. This from Lenny's newsletter, um, a newsletter that you've just introduced me to here. Um, And the article that was sent in the newsletter opens up by saying, in 2019, while still working at 16Z, hey, see how that comes together? Um, Jin wrote a provocative essay titled The Passion Economy and the Future of Work. In it, she defined and highlighted an emerging trend she called the passion economy, wherein people build audiences at scale and turn their passions into livelihoods. Sounds like a familiar concept to me. Yep. Her claim was that the new digital platforms and marketplaces will have a profound impact in enabling people to connect to consumers and monetize their skills and interests and would in turn open up entirely new types of jobs in the future. I, along with a growing contingent of people, am living proof of this trend coming to fruition. 
The first sentence in her 2019 essay included what at the time was a shocking stat. The top earning writer on the paid newsletter platform Substack earns more than $500,000 a year from reader subscriptions. Just over one and a half years in, I now earn more than this with my humble newsletter. I didn't realize it at the time, but Lee predicted and paved the way for my new career. Article goes on to talk about Lee Jin and her debut investment fund, Atelier Ventures, $13 million fund to support companies or people, creators in the passion economy. So this is fascinating, Joe. I mean, this is, this is, this is Content Inc., like you know, like at scale. It's it's so interesting to me. And I wanted to bring this article in and talk about it a little bit, just because when I've been focusing on, you know, content marketing and content ink model, and at the same time, this whole movement, two movements, actually one, the creator economy has been pushing and the second one with Lee Jin sort of as the, as the author, she, when she penned that article in Harvard business review in 2019 around the passion economy. Now it's all about content creators, content entrepreneurs, what I've been calling them recently. And so first of all, the news here is, okay, this is a, it's another investment group. It's fine. There's a lot of them out there. But the amount of money right now going after content creation tools is, I've never seen anything like it. It's, it's almost like what happened in the content marketing space a couple, on the enterprise side a couple of years ago, where everyone was throwing money into it. Well, now it's happening on the individual side. Uh, it's pretty yeah. amazing that this is all happening. The one thing I do want to say, I'm not a fan of passion economy because you're not simply because passion is not mandatory. It's helpful. It's not mandatory. And that's the only reason why I don't like, and I've been poo-pooing a little bit because, and I don't think it's the term. I like that. That's that. You just sold me. You just sold me with one line. I like, well, I've been working right. As you know, I've been working a lot about this because we've been trying to figure out, okay, who is it? And I really believe it's the term is content entrepreneur. And I'm like, okay, content entrepreneur. That makes sense to me. Why isn't it passionate economy? I just told you that you don't have that passion. Very helpful not mandatory. Why isn't it the creator economy? I love the creator economy. A lot of content entrepreneurs, a lot of content creators in the creator economy, but the creator economy includes people that make their livelihood on Etsy and eBay. And frankly, that is different kind of content creation that I want to be associated with. I think content creators that we talk about are much different than content creators that are doing stuff on on an artsy art platform. I think it's much different. So that's where I'm coming around to this thing called content entrepreneur or something like that that makes sense. Regardless, it's all semantics at this point. What I really have never seen in my lifetime is this movement, this creator movement that is happening in front of us. And it goes with exactly what we were talking about where everybody's a media company and you're just seeing... And what I really want to do, and I haven't been able to figure it out yet, maybe I will. I want to, we've seen this, the Wall Street Journal already said that we're seeing this uh, boom in entrepreneurship happen in the United States. I really think that a large, not a majority, but maybe the largest percentage of growth in the entrepreneurship space is this mission of the content entrepreneur, content ink model, passion economy, creator economy. And I think we all need to be paying attention to this right now because it's happening right in front of our eyes. It's wow! I love that, and you totally sold me. And I think you're, I think you're exactly right. Um, and you know, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but we we talked about it just two seconds ago with uh, with Jacob Donnelly, right? With the, you know, his side project, not, <laughs> not hustle, um, his side project. Um, where he, you know, his job is to work for Morning Brew, but he has got this side project um, that actually makes money. And yep. I mean, he may be passionate about it; he may not. But I think it, I think it goes to your goes to your point that it's it's really about the entrepreneurial spirit here, and sort of having you know having those projects um, be uh, be a key piece of that. And and I don't mean to be. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a side hustle. Actually, <laughs> Lee, Lee Jin has has created this whole tech stack. Um, a thing called side hustle stack, uh, which it's much, it's very similar to the way um, uh, Martech, what Scott Brinker, Scott Brinker created with his on the enterprise side, and she's done the same thing for the passion economy, creator economy, if you will. 
And I love that whole thing. And the problem I have with side hustle, and I've gotten into some wars on Twitter about it, is because of the fact that I believe that if somebody's going to be successful doing this, they need to first choose. Like I, I, I want you to do a hundred percent. Do a hundred percent at your job, or do a hundred percent at your side pro, your whatever the project is. But I believe when you split time, it's very, very hard for that side hustle to become a thing when you split time. And you and I know a lot of would-be entrepreneurs who have little side projects that have never devoted enough time to that side thing, and they end up splitting time. And what happens is become they, they become mediocre at their job and mediocre at the side hustle. Yeah, that's right. So I would rather you say, be great at your job until you get to the point where you can save enough money or do whatever, and then go do go become an entrepreneur full time. That's what I would yeah. rather see, and the reason why, and there's nothing wrong with doing both at the same time, but I think you're better off from a percentage of uh, actually making it and being financially free as an entrepreneur if you focus 100% of your time there. Love it. Absolutely love it. And then well, off of, <laughs> I will, off of my stand, and I will defer to the courts. <laughs> We find you not guilty. Not guilty, no. Guilty yes. for being an antichrist. Not guilty chose, for being a Browns fan. Okay. He chose poorly. He chose poorly. He chose poorly. Um, that's an Indiana Jones reference. Okay. Uh, we are at our wonderful, empirically proven favorite part of the show. Um, I don't know why I'm suddenly doing William Shatner here, Captain Kirk. Um, the show. It's a rants and rave section. It's the time for... <laughs> anyway. No, but I'm sorry. This is going to go on. I got a phone call from him one time and it was... Because he, he talks just like that on the phone. Because he, right. he called and he said, Joe, is this you? Joe. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, Bill, this is me. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, awesome. go on. I'm sorry. I interrupted uh, you. Yeah. But. Uh, it is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant and a little bit of a rave uh, to whatever makes us feel like we're landing on Mars or makes us feel like we've overshot the planet completely. Um, do you want to go yeah, first I'll, today? I, I don't want to spend you, too long on it. Okay. But yeah. This is always I know it's quick, something very important to quick you. Quick commentary. I just felt I had... It's in the news this week. So I'm going to lead with a story from Decrypt, uh, again, a little bit of cryptocurrency in here, but the title is, Ethereum Crypto Punks Are Selling for Outrageous Sums of Money. And <laughs> it sounds like a, it sounds like a comic book. It's, it's, this is, yeah. So this is yesterday in a crypto punk, which you really have to go see, <laughs> but it's like a pixelized it's new, image. It's the new X-Men, isn't it? Isn't it the, it's, isn't it, it the it's, new X-Men? It's a, it's like a pixelized picture of a face and there's different ones on there and they're sold but the one yesterday morning sold for $136,000 folks this is an wow. image this is just digital art now I want to say it's just digital art and the reason why I'm telling everyone here because this thing is taking off like I've never seen before and what's happening is is this whole NFT movement these are non-fungible tokens now all I'm just gonna I'm just presenting it here you can all go down your own rabbit holes later and f figure out if this is a thing for you. I've known about this for about nine months now. I wrote a little, a little section in the book about it just because I feel for content creators that this is a monetization strategy that is really starting to take off. So basically, NFTs are digital assets that represent a wide range of tangible and intangible products. So sometimes it'll be collectible sports cards. It'll be virtual real estate. It'll be digital sneakers. So there's lots of these things happening right now. And if you go to uh, some of the stories that are going on right now, NBA is doing some things where they will take a LeBron James slam dunk and they will put it on the blockchain and they'll say only one of these exist like, like it in the world and you can bid on it. So what happens is, I don't want to get, it's it, it's so, so technical to, to, to get into this, but basically what happens is the benefits of owning a digital collectible versus, say, a physical collectible, like a Pokemon card or, let's say, a minted coin, is that each NFT contains 
distinguishing information that makes it distinct from anything else, and it's easily verifiable. So if you buy a CryptoPunk on some platform, you you can verify it that you are the sole owner of it, and there's a link back from the creator to you. So when you you know when you back in the day, Robert, when the you know Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards for Upper Deck were uh, being duplicated all over the place, and they were being selling for a hundred dollars, but they were worth nothing. Yeah. You can't do that with NFTs. You can always trace it back to the original. So where this is really taking off right now is in the art scene. So there's a couple. There's Super Rare. There's Maker's Place. There's a couple other ones where people are selling digital art right now for a lot of money. Um, so all I'm saying is, I'll put some. I'll put some of these articles in the show notes. But this is a thing that could absolutely take off. We're seeing it take off right now in social money, social currency, where people are uh, putting out their own um, their own coins, if you will. Uh, whale coin or like our friend Jeremiah, Jeremiah Aoyang has his Jeremiah coin where you can profit and you can get exclusive access to certain groups if you have certain number of coins. It's, it's almost hard to believe it's happening but if you know enough about what happened, it's happening with cryptocurrency and the blockchain, this is sort of an inevitable happening where creators can actually monetize their work in a new way besides just a trading for direct cash. They can do it Amazing. through a tokenized thing. They can do it through uh, social money, crypto punks, crypto kitties. All this stuff is just the start of it. Um, here we go. It's getting really, really interesting for creators yeah. right now. Well, to, you come, yeah. I was gonna say you combine this with your creator story, and there's, you know, you've got a there's a whole. I mean, there's a whole vein to to to, to explore here, right? Well, Which and, and you're, it's funny because your friend you just brought up William Shatner, so he um, he's been in digital collectibles for the last couple of years, and he's issued I think over fifty thousand digital cards on the blockchain and creating. A limited number of cards. So like tops trading cards, they have a whole big thing right now in digital cards and it's all happening on the blockchain. So it's just, it's just nuts, man. It's just nuts. Yeah. So the future of collectibles is, is they're going to be digital and I'll, I'll end with this cause it's just fascinating. So what's happening is if you want a digital work of art, you get like a huge big screen television, led screen, and you put it in your house and then you buy a, rare piece of art for whatever. And this is not just, I mean, some of these things really do some amazing things. A lot of them have music and then you just, your piece of art is on your wall. It's just, it's crazy. Anyways. Wow. There you go. Amazing. There you go. That's very cool. It's nuts, That's very, man. very cool. It makes me want to go, makes me want to go learn all about this. Oh, stuff. it's, I, you it's, can go it's, down. Yeah. I'm, I'm continuing to go down the rabbit hole, especially because, you know, yeah. we were talking about before the show, Bitcoin soaring, this stuff is taking off. Uh, in a whole new way, and and it's just interesting to see where it goes. Yeah. All right. Well, I have a quick rave or commentary or something. Um, I don't know what you necessarily call it, but uh, uh, it comes from the Financial Times. Uh, it is what we'll link to in the show notes. And a big, huge hat tip to. Uh, I know he's a listener of the show and also friend and family of the show for a long time. Igor Bielabrodic. Uh, hi, Igor. Uh, how I hope things in Poland are doing well for you. Um, thank you very much for sending this story over via the hashtag. Um, it was something that I just thought was fascinating and a real trend um, that was worth uh, raving about, which is the headline, Virtual Classrooms Democratize Executive Education. Now, the key there is not the virtual part. Uh, that's, that's temporary for sure, but, um, and maybe permanent in, in some cases, but as we move out of COVID that will, uh, that will move away. What fascinated me about this was, so the article opens up by saying as universities closed their classrooms and companies adjusted to the disruption of the coronavirus pandemic last year, PepsiCo's chief learning officer, Molly Nagler had to scrap plans to send executives to programs at Wharton or Yale school of management. But rather than dismiss executive education as impractical, unaffordable, or unjustifiable during a crisis, Nagler doubled down and negotiated online alternatives for the U.S.-based food and drinks group. She's quoted as saying, we tend to use the in-person campus-based program for executives to create a differentiated experience and expose them to cutting-edge thinking and research. 
We'll still use the campus for elite experiences, but less than before because of the expense and challenge of to get everybody in the same place. Like many of her counterparts in companies around the world, Nagler is not cutting back on her training budget. Instead, she is reconsidering who should learn, what they should study, and how to best train them, and reviewing her choice of external programs as a result. Um, basically, the article then goes on to talk about all these different uh, um alternatives out there in terms of the way that corporate training and education is happening. Uh, and some of that is, guess what? Private companies, private companies that are providing this education, whether virtually or in person, I happen to be living, breathing experience of that. Um, and we're seeing more and more of that as part of the, what you might call the privatization of education mm -hmm. As student loans become more untenable, as, you know, quite frankly, um, I was having a conversation with uh, someone just this week about some of the business schools in France really looking to evolve the way that they educate uh educate students into modern marketing techniques, modern business techniques that just quite frankly aren't taught in the business schools there right now because they just haven't kept up. And so engaging with these private institutions, which could include at some point, comp, you know, product companies is going to be the way of the future. So I think the, to me, the bleed is buried here a little bit. It's because the article itself is about, uh, the difference between virtual and face-to-face. -face. But I think there, as Igor points out in the, in the, in the quote he sent over when he sent over the story, he says, it's, there's a, there's a coming collision course, right? There's a collision course between broader education, you know, at some point, whether it's Apple or GE or Facebook or somebody, somebody's going to launch an online university, uh, you know, very similar to what LinkedIn has done with, uh, you know, their acquisition of, of Linda. Um, and, and launch a full-on accredited university for kids, and do it for free. And I think it's uh, it, there's it's it's not if it's when. So anyway, wanted to rave about that. No, I I mean you know I'm 100% in agreement. I mean I did half my content marketing world presentation that big tech was going to take over traditional education. I still believe it. it what yeah. you say is I think is going to happen, but I think that it's also in smaller things that we're just not noticing. Like for example. If somebody graduated high school and they wanted to go into marketing, you could make a really good case that the best marketing education right now is not in the traditional classroom. Totally. So, totally. So, so if you want to go to college to get the experience, that's a whole different thing because I'd believe in that for anybody. Get yourself out of the house, go meet some people. Hopefully after COVID, you can actually do that yeah. kind of stuff. Fantastic. But if it's just for training and education, uh, the it, traditional education is is behind the eight ball right now, and um, tech has all the money. They all yep. they only need to decide to do it. Now, I will say this: where the university still have it has an advantage when it comes to marketing is not treating it like a trade. In other words, you know what what most corporate education is these days for, especially for marketing, is looking at marketing as a trade that you basically learn a skill, right? Yeah. And you and you you skill up in a particular area: inbound marketing, content marketing, direct marketing, advertising, media planning. You know whatever those things are, you can you can skill up. But what you don't get are the fundamentals and the sort of foundational history and the That's background and, and all of that. You don't get the the sort of true appreciation for the practice, sort of the you know the the true practice. And that's honestly something I'm passionate about. <laughs> Maybe I should start my passion economy side hustle. Um, well, I was going to say if they to any any content marketing workshop I've ever been to where Robert Rose is running it, you give a very good detail about the history and how we got there so yeah that's say, and that's that's my it's yeah, not a huge part I'm of your workshop really but you do go in. into yeah. it you didn't just didn't say oh we were born yesterday in content marketing so right that's right that's right speaking of which uh what are you up to this week well it, they're You're staying warm i hope there's staying two feet warm yeah the there's i mean granted i'm in cleveland ohio we are not going we're used to this stuff uh we're, we're not dealing with what they have to deal with in texas and whatnot but there's two feet of snow on the ground it's cold you know it's you know we shovel 
periodically <laughs> just to keep so we can keep getting the cars out and things like that. So just keeping warm. And and man, I'll tell you, I, I have to be honest, I'm going down the rabbit hole of all this content stuff right now. Probably because I'm working on the final version of the book and then also trying to figure out, you know, there's just so much need out there, I think, for a lot of these entrepreneurs. And and I'm getting passionate about it. <laughs> there it is. There what are you it doing, is. man? What's going on? I am, uh, we are heads down here. We are, you know, I, I will say we are lucky here in California. The weather has been absolutely spectacular. So it's been good to get outside a little bit, but, but mostly we're just heads down. I'm trying to get the new version of CMI University up and running and working on client work and just, it's, it feels good to be busy. I'll, I'll say that. And so, yeah, just, uh, lots to do um, work, work, lots work, to work, do work, 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 scotch, scotch, scotchy, scotch, scotch, scotch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. Well, folks, guess what? That's it. Um, we are signing off. And if you want to get all the goodness of this podcast show notes, uh, check out some of our sponsor stuff, uh, dive into any of the other 258 episodes here. Why don't you just head on over to our shiny new website, thisoldmarketing.site. Uh, we want to thank the good folks at Radix, by the way, for powering our thisoldmarketing.site domain. Um, and you can get your own, of course, with Radix. Uh, but until we meet again next week, just remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you in about seven days with Mars on the way on This Old Marketing.